millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a bit trip with me, isn't it? Welcome to the gang, the one you never asked to be a part of. You are listening to the Grief Gang podcast, the show dedicated to breaking down the topic of grief, one conversation at a time, with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. That's a bit fast paced there, my apologies. I'm a bit out of breath doing this introduction. Um, hello, and welcome to this week's episode. Like I said at the end of last week's episode, this has been a very uh, requested topic uh, to have on the show and one that I have been wanting to talk about for a while but almost had to um, ready myself to uh, get into the headspace to want to want and be like equipped to talk about it and really to educate myself about it too and guys that is prolonged grief disorder now, some of you might be gasping and being like, oh, God, here we go. Been waiting for this one and have done a little bit of reading about what that is already. And some of you might be like, what the hell is that? I didn't even know this was a thing. So for those who do know about what this is, gear up. And for those who don't, by definition, what prolonged grief disorder is, as per Wikipedia, Prolonged grief disorder, also known as complicated grief, traumatic grief, and persistent complex bereavement disorder, horse in the DSM-5, which is basically, I'm going to do so many things in justice here, of like the logbook of like all disorders and things in like psychotherapist world and all that malarkey, is a mental disorder con- disorder consisting of a distinct set of symptoms following the death of a family member or close friend. That's a very, you know, compact description of it. But basically, back in the summer, this was announced in the DSM-5 and announced that 
certain symptoms of grief may fall into a category called prolonged grief disorder. And it had the online and offline grief community quite up in arms with very different opinions and feelings towards it, some in total rage and upset, like really upset by it and have many question marks over it. And some were quite comforted and quite curious as to maybe potentially do they see themselves in kind of the things that the DSM were acknowledging maybe part of this new diagnosis? And when I first saw the outrage, I kind of retreated and I was just like, what the hell is this? I just, I don't think I was in the right mind frame really to be deep diving into something that was quite loaded let's say loaded and I sat on it for a while and I was then began to pick up some interest on it and I thought no I need to talk I need to talk about this and I want to talk about it and more so not leave my own biases at the door or actually unpack my biases towards it potentially because I was very much on one side of fuck this this is a crock of shit and then actually to take a step back and look outside and go, well, why has this been, you know, say created or acknowledged and put into such a serious um, DSM-5, you know? Look at me trying to be like like professional in some sort of, you know. I, I just wanted to unpack it. I wanted to see both sides of the coin of just like, how did we get here and why are we here now? And so I knew I knew that I wanted to speak to somebody about it. I wanted to speak to somebody who either works professionally or will be working professionally with people who will have this diagnosis or be on the journey to get this diagnosis. And then I also wanted to speak to somebody also who is bereaved as well. And I was having a conversation with one of my like newfound friends via Grief Gang, as I do. So many friends now, I love it. And I am speaking with, to you, it's an alias name, my friend Laura. And my friend Laura, she is a training uh, psychologist. And so, and she is also bereaved too. Do you know how much I'm trying not to say her real name here? And Laura is the name that we have gone with. (laughs) I'm really, really trying not to say it. And yeah, so during this episode, both Laura and I are both going to be unpacking what is prolonged grief disorder and what does it mean? And also hearing from the experience of law of both being a bereaved person who sees and feels one way towards this and then with a professional hat on too feels one way towards it. Where do you meet in the middle and like how conflicting that can be? We also discuss you know, what are the actual benefits to having a diagnosis like this? What actually having a diagnosis such as prolonged grief disorder can do for you in terms of professional and exterior support? Um, How did it came to be? What was kind of the research that went into the back of this? Um, It's a really, really interesting episode. And um, I mean, me and Laura speak off phone about it quite a bit and did before. And there's a lot to it and there's still quite a lot unclear about it as well you know we're very much in the infancy of this new diagnosis so maybe in a year's time as we do say in the episode we'll come back to it and um see maybe what has and hasn't changed but yeah buckle up just 
buckle up yeah buckle up for this episode it's a real thinker and if you're coming to it with maybe your own thoughts and feelings to it i'd be really interested to see and hear from you at the end of it if anything's changed or made you think about it so i'm gonna shut up now this is a really long introduction prolonged grief disorder let's get into it Laura, Laura, Laura. Prolonged grief disorder. We have been, well, me and you have been talking about this in the DMs and on text for so long and been like divulging so much. And this has been a topic that has been long awaited for on Grief Gang. And one that I think I've been hesitant to do, (laughs) which I think we'll later on discover by (laughs) some of the responses and kind of like feedback and general feelings toward this topic. But nevertheless, it is a topic that is like desperately and importantly needed to address. What is prolonged grief disorder? And since when did it kind of come about and been on the radar type thing? Yeah, so as psychologists, we would never diagnose someone. So that's kind of psychiatry's role. Um, But in an essence, the prolonged grief disorder diagnosis has got sort of tick box things that you sort of have to have to get the diagnosis. The same as any any mental health diagnosis. Um, So the kind of specific requirements in terms of length of time, number of symptoms, that sort of thing is normal across ways of diagnosing it's not a perfect science (laughs) um so I think the the prolonged grief disorder is I can't remember whether it's six months or a year in terms of the the time that's elapsed since your person has died um but it's still having a significant impact on your day-to-day life and functioning day-to-day yeah, I first started seeing articles and like comments and responses to uh, PGD from yeah my American friends. I think I woke up one morning and looked at my Instagram. I was like, "What the fuck is going on here? Like, yeah. what is this?" And then I remember just seeing it everywhere, and I was like, "I think I was like, I'm. I think I was on like my little break from Grief Gang in the summer, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not like digesting too much right now. Like, just leaving yeah. it." And then a couple of weeks went by, and there was still uproar, and I was like, "What is this?" And then as I started digging deep and then I had a few people send me, send me in my DMs, like articles, like, have you seen this? Have you read about this? And I was like, shit in hell, like this is really, really upsetting a few people and really ruffled some feathers. And I think the immediate thing that jumped out to me that I thought, oh guys, come on, was the six month to a year mark. And I think when I looked, I think it said six months for children which I found even more baffling and then a year for adults so it's, but if, a, if a child is still showing these for six months I think that's right so that's a child losing someone else or an adult losing someone else okay and that's the immediate one where I thought oh my god I, I thought they've put a time frame on this <laughs> I went oh and it really got my back up and I thought and it made me think back to, yeah, it, I think for everybody, it made them think back into the, those six months to one year. You're right. And I think those big articles framed it as that in that sort of way that you are expected at this point to have, in, and I was reading it as, as have forgotten. You're expected to have moved on and forgotten almost, um, which, yeah, is something that doesn't happen 
But I just wanted to ask you, yeah, to uh, we've gone right into people don't really know um, oh, Laura, you, who you are mm. and your profession mm. and what is your personal connection to grief and like where I think you've given like a flavour of kind of like where you sit on it. But I was, I was so intrigued to hear your perspective of both from a professional head and then also a personal head too. So yeah, give us a bit about you, Laura. Yeah, happy to. So I'm a trainee clinical psychologist. Um, so I'm doing a doctorate at the moment um, after undergrad and working for a bit. Um, and at the end of it, we'll be a qualified clinical psychologist. So potentially we'll be working with people who are struggling with grief amongst a lot of other things. It's my grief journey, I guess. Um, grief has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember for as long as I know really um so my baby brothers were born when I was three um twin brothers um and we lost one of them um when he was five months old um so I was four at the time um so trying to get your head around that as a four-year-old I don't remember much of it um obviously we've spoken about it since and I we talk about him and I've as a family we have spoken about it since but it just was a kind of from as long as you can remember that's really when you first form your memories three or four um so that was always very much part of who I was so I feel like that's a lot for any child to go through and then when I was uh 11 or 12 my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer um and five years of remission and coming back um we lost her when I was 17 um so kind of double whammy of grief in our family really um both of which happened around Christmas so Christmas is a really difficult time to go back before you went when you went to uni and you decided what you wanted to when you wanted to study and to become was it obviously throughout your life and your experiences of what you went through did you always kind of feel like I know I want to do something that will eventually lead me to working with other bereaved people it's a great question so I initially thought I wanted to be a medic um so yeah kind of in the early days maybe 14 or so thought actually I want to be a doctor that sounds really cool um (laughs) (laughs) but the more I thought about it the more it was I don't I'm not interested by the sort of the biology the chemistry behind it Mm. it was much more how on earth are people dealing with this and Mm. how can I help in that physical health has always been a massive interest of mine in terms of the mental health and physical health um so I thought actually no I don't want to be a doctor um I think being a psychologist would be quite cool and mum was a speech and language therapist Mm. um with children which is what I think you know I think I want to work with children long term so it was always Mm. this I want to do something similar to mum but I want to do my own thing as well yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it's kind of similar but also I've got my own identity within it as who I am as a psychologist but that in itself comes with such massive hurdles of Mm. working with speech and language therapists yeah who do what mum did did day in day out and then so going to university and 
what was it like? I I always find it so int- like so I, I I was nineteen, so yeah, we, we were both mm. we were both teenagers when we lost parents, and um, and I never I never went down the university route, and then I I meet friends who I just I cannot fathom like having. I couldn't peel myself out of bed just to even go just to my nine to five, let alone yeah. one start studying and really, really have to use your brain for a really, really um, intense course and, and education. What was it like in uni for you? It wasn't easy. <laughs> um, I didn't get into my first choice uni, so I went through clearing, which was another huge blow in that I was phoning up unis on results day saying, this year I've lost my mum. What do you expect me to do? Like, yes, I've dropped a grade. (laughs) Brings up such anger still because they were kind of like, well, sorry, it's the rules. It's the way things are. So I was already, you know, going through clearing and that was a huge knock to my confidence. Um, And first year was really difficult. (laughs) Kind of being away from home and everything that I'd built as a support system in terms of friends family local places that I felt comfort local you know I could nip and be like oh me and mum came here okay I'll go there and all of that was I mean I wasn't a million miles away I was probably about two hours away um yeah. but that's far it's enough to not home. be able to nip yeah going through all that you've been through both with the loss of your brother and your mum when this came out, uh, or before you even knew, you probably knew like it was coming and research that was, did you know? No, no. <clears throat> no, was not. No, maybe I should, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me you don't do no. uh, your readings after you work, Laura. You're not, no. Um, so, yeah, it was probably as big of a shock or an announcement to you as it was to, like, mm. yeah, everybody in the community and just general public. So, what was can you remember kind of what was your first kind of reaction when you were were you like oh like what what mind was speaking first your professional head or your personal head that's what I'm really interested in it's such a good question because I feel I think opposite in terms of personal head and professional head um I think so I think my personal head was the one that spoke first and Mm. it was a very similar what (laughs) (laughs) kind of disbelief confusion anger so I feel very different and coped very differently losing Fraser than I did losing Mm. mum than losing Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned the other day pet loss that's huge all of these different losses because I'm the same person I haven't reacted in the same way yeah and I think yeah just this idea of there's a right way and there's a wrong way and I was thinking Mm. you know is that a disorder that is it a label that I'd want? And I was thinking on the one hand, you know, if I don't get diagnosed with this, if I don't have this label, then I don't miss mum enough. I didn't love her enough that I've recovered. Okay. I can get on with my life. What's wrong with me that, yeah. Or if you do get diagnosed with it, it's, oh, I'm doing this wrong. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, yes, Laura, we have got many a question. So, yeah, before I think yeah, in the summer, I put some cues out on Instagram and just said, guys, tell me what the hell do you think about this? Like don't hold back. I'm going to be interviewing with somebody. I was like, no idea yet who. And then me and you were talking. And I was like, Laura, do you want to do it? <laughs> <laughs> and you signed yourself up. You might regret it afterwards. No, no. Not and no, what's good to know is that these are not aimed at you. They have no idea. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's just, and, but you, I think anyone listening, like who may be thinking, why are people so enraged like this? Like, this is maybe potentially surely a good thing or not. Like, in these cues and, and kind of reactions, you may feel like the rage and why, and, and we'll kind of dissect into that as best as we can. Um, so, yeah, to, to delve in, because we've got a few. Um, first question is, why is it, quotations, prolonged and not just grief? How long is, quotations, healthy grief? What about the shock? Grief didn't kick in for months. Is that not healthy either? And I feel like that just perfectly sums up (laughs) the huge difference that everyone feels with grief and that it's healthy to feel different and it's there's not a normal or you know you can say the way that I dealt with it was incredibly unhealthy in terms of throwing Mm. myself back into it but I needed to do it to get my like it's just how I coped at the time and yeah you know that's might have others might have seen it as unhealthy but it's what my brain needed to do to keep going and get out of bed every morning (laughs) yeah 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 it's kind of and again it goes on to whose whose definition of healthy what is the definition of healthy if somebody is you know going through the photo albums every day or somewhat but are able to kind of go on with their day but if if in you know the disorder it's saying you know kind of holding on to memories and going back and for like staying in that kind of time in your life is unhealthy but it's very contradicting and so yeah who who gets to deem what healthy grief is mm. and where do we draw the line of when we say you what you're doing again you're doing it wrong that's one of the things about this it makes it sound like it's a very linear you know the five stages of grief you move through this you move yeah. through that you get to that and you reach the end yeah um and, and then the I best think- thing to discover is that the five stages of grief actually isn't even for grief isn't it did you not know that? Oh my God, no. I'm going to, oh, the five stages of grief mm. are actually for those who are dying. Okay. For the dying. So, oh my goodness. I know. And then just along the way, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, mm. she just got like, somehow, of course there are very similarities, but it was, yeah. she originally created that, yeah, for those who are dying. And then when you look at that perspective, you go, ah, yes. But I think I was so nervous in terms of our teaching, because we've had teaching on grief. And I was like, how on earth am I going to sat there and be told what it's like to grieve? <laughs> yeah and I was really worried that it would be here's the five stages that you move through but it was incredibly Mm. eye-opening and enlightening Mm. to know that Mm. kind of the psychologists of today are being told it's messy it's all over the place it's healthy to 
jump about and we're not doing stages we're just doing more feelings (laughs) but then with this though then does that not take it back like 10 steps it does feel like and I mean it goes back to a very common discussion between psychiatry and psychology and we have very different training methods very Mm. different approaches to um so for anyone listening that doesn't know psychiatrists you're medically trained first you're a doctor Mm. kind of a medical doctor um whereas psychologists clinical psychologists we deal much more with talking therapies um and I think we're much more in the camp of this is messy and healthy and let's feel those feelings and yeah it's gonna really hurt and the next cue or remark is to me it doesn't exist what's your thoughts straight to the point um if you asked me when I first saw it I probably maybe disrespectfully would have said I don't think it does exist but then actually upon from talking with my community it's not going to be the same how being like influenced but actually with anything isn't it you, your, your immediate reaction is and your bodily reaction is to something and then actually taking the time to research and sit with your own feelings about it um no I absolutely do think it exists um but as me and you, I think, discuss, and although I'm not a professional, kind of, I think it's, it becomes a bit grey of, is it a disorder or is this maybe potentially something like depression? Mm. And I think you've picked up something where they've put it within the DSMs, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, where it's been added into. Yeah. Um, it's down as a trauma response and kind of mm. in that category, whereas there's a lot of pushing for it to be moved to an adjustment disorder. Again, we're using... Okay difficult word like a disorder yeah I hate it yeah but kind of moving it to you're right it's adjusting to a new way of living absolutely definitely yeah this is what I was saying earlier do we know if the term was developed with any bereaved (laughs) with any bereaved people and what their thoughts were on it it really doesn't seem like it and as we were saying earlier like for like like can't imagine that a bereaved person would maybe agree to these these time frames or these symptoms of what it is but it's a good question <laughs> so I did a bit of licking because I, I yeah. really wanted to know the answer to this as well and there is mention of um asking people who would be classified as having that um, and apparently 90% agreed that they would have felt better their family would appreciate their struggle and but I really couldn't find any information any more information on yeah. who was asked what country they were what country the study was done in all questions that would have been really helpful to know the yeah. answers to yeah and where they are in their loss like are they asking are they talking to people who are within that first year time frame that they're talking about are they asking people who are further down the line? Like, I don't know. Like, I think if I was to be part of like a research study for this, yeah, like it, it, it's all relative of like, yeah, if somebody was to approach, yeah, we're doing, we're doing a study on this and, you know, we want you to think back to that first six months to a year of your life. It's very grey. It's very yes, grey. I was about to say so, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's very grey. So they might have said like, did you feel like, um, you know, you couldn't get up out of bed and, and move forward or, or and, you know, do daily tasks? I would have been like, yeah, it was a shit show. But I know that I did. I did find a couple of research articles that asked professionals what they thought of it, which I thought was interesting that they were asked first. <laughs> Yeah. Um, rather than me being able to find anything about 
people who've actually been through this who'd, who'd um, been being part asked. Of it. I would really hope something like that is on the way, kind of being done somewhere. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I couldn't find anything, but mm. a lot of research is kind of done in the background and then presented. So it's yeah, like it, it just came out. Things are going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that. I remember thinking, where the bloody hell has this come from? Like it just popped out of nowhere, and I was like, there's been no inkling to it. Whereas like. I would like to have thought if there was kind of like a study, like someone in the grief community would have got a whiff of it, like a little whiff of like, this is going on type thing. Um, how long is too long? Do you think bereaved people will be stigmatised by diagnosis? For me, like from with my personal sort of hat on, at the moment I feel in a, oh, I don't want to say healthy or in a healthy place in my grief, but I feel in an okay patch is how I'm going to yeah, put it. Yeah, I'm with you, yeah. Um, and I fully expect myself to go back into the not okay patch Yeah. when things like weddings, when things like having a family, when things that I want in my future, I have to go through without mum there. Mm. I fully expect to feel like I did on day one. Isn't it interesting how we can acknowledge that? Like I'm, I, I'm, t- I'm so with you there, Laura, at the moment of like, I am, I feel really good. And I think maybe for us, maybe like, I guess stable, but is that maybe a bit of a loaded mm. word? But just like, everything's kind of on an even kill right now it's on an even kill and yeah but then knowing and it's not living in like oh not for too long though kind of knowing knowing that that big grief monster will loom its head again and say hello but knowing yeah. as you said looking to the future and even knowing and acknowledging that okay even if today it's been a great day a great week a great month um knowing that around the corner there can just be something that will just throw us off it's almost overnight the rest of your life changes <laughs> Yeah. And it's like yeah. coming back to the question, how long am I allowed to get over that? Like yeah. everything about your life changes overnight. And I, mm-hmm. we, you know, there's very different circumstances leading up to losing. I had five years to get my head around the fact that it might happen. And I don't know if there's a better or a yeah. Yeah. nicer way of doing it. But I still had that long to get my head around it. And it was still horrific. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, the second part of the question, yeah, do you think mm. bereavement will be stigmatised by this? I think so. And again, it comes back to, you know, if you have this diagnosis, do you come out the other side of it? It's stuff that I'm mm. still trying to get my head around in terms of, okay, yeah. do you get treated for it? Do you come out the other side of it? Am I then, again, woohoo, I've done it. I've successfully adapted. Yeah. Or if I've got that label, would I be looked at differently that I'm doing it wrong? That I, yeah. And, and I think, maybe to touch on some of the pros of it I think it will help yeah, people think, to recognize sorry are we yeah. getting there <laughs> no yeah I, I, I think I'm just really yeah I feel yeah, so the next one is I think okay, I might have right. it yeah I think I might have it how does someone get diagnosed with this what's the pathway and I really wish more than anything I could give a really clear nice yeah. answer to this again my professional hat on now really angers me that I can't <laughs> But I think because it's such a new diagnosis, there's nothing really in place. And that's mm. one of the things that really worries me about how sort of out of nowhere it seemed to come is that, okay, we've got this label now. And what do we do sort of with what, it? What yeah, do we yeah, do yeah. With it? We're going to tell it people is. they're doing it wrong and leave mm. them to it. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, as, as me and you spoke before on the phone of like, and I said, yeah, so like, what is the pathway? And you're like, well, actually right now, there's not really a lot. And kind of it is, what is the, what is the objective of being given this disorder? I think there are still options. So I think 
your GP is always your first port of call in terms of mental health struggles Mm. and maybe even naming look I think I've got this um and to be really honest I reached out to a few medic friends before doing this um and it wasn't a diagnosis they were aware of yeah and like if you're kind of going yeah to your GP and kind of despair and kind of as you said your GP is normally always your first point of call and you're kind of going in having done a little bit of research listening to staff and thinking yeah I really resonate with that and I see myself in in those symptoms and and this uh research pardon me um and then going to your GP and then going I ain't got a clue what you're talking about and then it kind of goes back to when we were talking about yeah like is this some sort of yeah presenting of depression so kind of what's the like it's, it's quite it's really confusing for people to go and say like do I go to my GP and say like oh I think I've I might have depression or I am depressed and then kind of hope they kind of lead down the pathway to help with potentially prolonged grief disorder mm. or are they just going to be and this is yeah potentially you know brazenly saying like misdiagnosis is this person's going to be treated for depression when actually they need grief support um but this next one is yeah do you think this is just a western way to pathologize something that is a normal human reaction I think that's where the anger comes from is mm. that what I'm feeling is normal and when mm. I read this question as well the queen you know what she said about um grief is the price we pay for love yeah and that is what came to mind for me reading this question I just thought you know what that's so she got it spot on that actually it's a really normal thing to feel that doesn't make it any less painful I've done sort of placements in different areas um around where I live around the university and a lot of those areas have been very diverse in terms of race culture ethnicity Mm. and being part of conversations about what grief is like in different cultures Mm. it's mind-blowing it's fascinating Mm. it's incredible and I wish we did things I wish I you know I now will steal ideas and yeah 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 yeah, learn and to understand absolutely Second to last cue, I don't agree with it, but I'm interested to find out what the actual pros are of having a diagnosis and how it can benefit someone and their grief. I really like this because I, this felt like it was yeah. like me. So I was like, I don't agree with it, but what's the actual pros? Like, what if somebody, if somebody in my life who I'm supporting or who I love going through it, what are the actual benefits that they, you know, access to, to staff? What are the pros of it? It can be divided into two. So I think there is huge huge pros in terms of the wider community in Mm. terms of the world not you know it's not changing the world but I think it really whenever I've mentioned this as a concept to friends family we've seen it on your Instagram page Mm. people are coming up and saying well no, no no my my grief was different my grief was like this I felt like this and talking about it in a way that it's really, really stimulating conversation, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. And I think the impact It's of like bad press is still huge. good press, isn't it? All bad press is good still press. talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've had conversations with friends and family and it's open sort of, what do you think about this? And where do you sit on this? And how was that for you? And yeah. so I think that definitely can't be overlooked. Now that it is an official diagnosis, I think, well, I know funding is being pumped into understanding it as a concept, yeah. kind of refining that diagnosis 
funding into okay what does treatment look like yes it's not ready yet but this huge randomized control trials going on at the moment of okay how do we treat this yeah say so, yeah funding it ugh, these things are always does go back down to money and this is yeah the interesting part to kind of talk i guess about the difference between the the us and the uk and kind of i think why in the us it's although there is still outrage at it it has been more widely accepted a little bit yeah. and there's maybe more pros to it and people can accept those because of things like insurance and like yeah people not being able to have the time off work because they are grieving but a workplace doesn't accept grieving as a illness Mm. so for somebody to go to their gp their doctor out there and present the symptoms and be diagnosed with it they're then signed off of work and they can have that full paid leave so when you see that you are like ah i don't i don't disagree (laughs) exactly Well, funny, so there's a very big discussion, debate in psychology about the use of diagnoses at all and whether actually we should be looking at what is this person struggling with in terms of symptoms Mm. and how can we treat those symptoms, forget about a label and trying to put everyone into perfect categories. Yeah, And it's something I think there's quite a lot of merit behind in terms of Mm. let's stop all our time and money and everything into trying to perfectly categorize things and let's yeah. think about what we can do to help a specific you know the person yeah. struggling with symptom x how do we treat that okay there we go and the last one i hate the idea of being medicalized for simply grieving for my mum i don't have anything against medication or people who take it but i think it's a total cop-out instead of providing actual and helpful bereavement support yeah to an extent that support isn't there yet and I've not worked in a service where I would be able to help someone who has that as a diagnosis or is really struggling I've worked differently with grief but not as a sort of single presentation and it's just and I don't want to leave people feeling sort of despair and you know Mm. there's nothing out there it can't be helped but the more that we can push for better funding of services and yeah I think that's only going to be a positive because yeah it's a huge gap the first kind of offering for somebody who would be presenting would potentially be medication until they've kind of figured out what what that kind of support from professional looks like so I think it's just, I, I, I think, well, I'm a psychologist, I'm always going to say therapy's the answer, <laughs> talking therapy's <laughs> the answer. Um, and I think from, I'd say that with a personal and a professional hat on, it's what really helped me. But I was in a very fortunate position to be able to fund that therapy, mm. um, which I know, especially at the moment, isn't an option for so many. Yeah. Um, but I think if it is, absolutely do it. And if not, whether it is going to charities, whether it is your GP, whether it is platforms like this, you know, Mm. the spaces that you create will have to deal with other ways until, fingers crossed, touch wood, there is a perfect pathway and treatment for everyone immediately. Well, there are professionals, one who who have been through very similar things like you and do actually feel like in some respects the same way as you, as well as giving 
why why this thing has come to light and what the benefits are and why yeah some bits are a bit gray and some are clearer so thank you no it's been a pleasure you know what a big fan I am of the Instagram page the podcast of everything you do so it's been yeah an absolute pleasure thanks for having me Well, well, we well. I know. I mean, I say I know. I mean, I hope that episode was uh, a bit of a thinker for you and was quite knowledgeable and insightful. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed kind of the like duality of having a guest who is both, you know, bereaved and is part of the gang, part of the gang. And, um, also can bring a professional perspective to it as well um i really really enjoyed my conversation with laura laura (laughs) it's quite fun having an alias person on you'll never know um (laughs) um yeah i really hope you enjoyed it i hope it's got you thinking i hope that if you have listened and you can recognize or resonate with some of the you know symptoms and kind of things that Laura and I were speaking about and you think I think this might be me I think I may be potentially living with this or suffering with this that it has hopefully given you a bit of power and knowledge to go and to as I know we did speak about until there wasn't really like a clear pathway but to at least start that conversation with the professionals or the people in your life um So yeah, thanks again for joining me this week. It's been great. And I will see you next week for another wonderful Grief Gang episode. Take care. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 